0: The moment we let a piece of technology tell us what it thinks is a better photograph than what we have in our heads, is the moment that everybody churns out the same.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Talking Shot. I am Ross Greve, and I am here this evening with TechKiru, photographer, drone pilot, Mr. Peter Morgan. How are you, mate? <laughs>
0: How you doing mate? Thank God that sounds really impressive. I think my mother would be impressed.
1: (laughs) But you know, people who don't know you obviously know you as um, Morgan James. Tell us about that.
0: Oh gosh. When um, When I first started my photography business, in Wales, where I'm from, uh, the... you never, you're not Welsh, are you? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest um, estate agent in Wales is called Peter Morgan. And ironically, it's the same name as the director. As well, there's a director called Peter Morgan, although I've never been mistaken for him, unfortunately. But I used to get calls. Oh, hi, I'm interested in selling my house. How do we put a house on the market? And I'd be like, well, I'm a photographer. I can take photographs of your house if you like. So, yeah after about 50 or 60 calls it became apparent that uh, my middle name is James so it became Morgan James Photography and it's always great because people who don't know me will ring me up and say hey Morgan how you doing I'm like you've never met me before you've no idea who I am I'm just somebody on a list somewhere
1: he'll <laughs> do let's give him a bill we we're chatting off, off air and we were talking about you know there's two things that photographers don't do or most photographers don't do and that screen calibration calibration Management and the other thing is backup, and this is this is your crunch, your baby. You absolutely eat, sleep, and bathe in this sort of type of thing. It yeah, is.
0: I mean, you know, um, I was uh, I've been in IT now. I worked out that, that I've been in IT for twenty nine years, which meant basically that I was started very early, and it was probably child labor laws I was breaking at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, um, I've been doing IT a long time, and. Although photography was almost my passion, I never made a living out of it. I'd worked for a lot of big companies doing backups and disaster recovery as well, uh, or DR, as you might hear it be called. But they go hand-in-hand, really, backup and disaster recovery together, because they're both part of the same thing, really. You're right, very much so that photographers tend not to do backups because it's the very mundane things that creatives don't tend to think about. And I think that's they're scared, they
1: go, oh, it sounds complicated, I don't want to get into that too much, it's going to take too much of my time, I want to go and take some more images.
0: Yeah, that's very true, I mean, and the, the, there's a big sort of, you know, there's a, there's a massive expectation as a photographer to produce images, but you know yourself, running a business is maybe 20% taking photographs and 80% advertising and marketing and editing kind of producing and you know websites and and everything else that kind of makes mm. the cream on the top look good. Yeah. But it's the stuff underneath that really supports your business. And I always like to think of it as being like a duck that floats on the top of the water, you know. Underneath, we're all paddling like heck. But on the top, it just looks like everything's kind of hunky-dory. Nice and calm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the biggest thing for me and what's helped me as a photographer, especially in the last five years, is having the currency of my technical knowledge to be able to help other photographers who would then in turn you know help me with my photography uh, and I've learned so much of uh, photographers that are some of the produce some of the best images in the world yet they'll have no idea how to do their backups or how to recover their backups you'd be really surprised how many fantastic photographers I have no technical skills when it comes to everything other than producing images. But it's so, so important, especially if you're making a living out of this. So what would you say is
1: the first sort of steps to sort of like a, a bite-sized backup starter pack for people just to
0: Well, I think the first thing is the f- accept that you have to back up and that you have to back up regularly. If you're only backing up once a year, or you know, once every couple of months, uh, it's not going to work. The whole idea behind backing up is that you take regular backups of your work, and you should back up every time you really produce new work. Produce something called an incremental backup so that you're only backing up the changes, a kind of the things that are different. You're not doing massive backups every time but you're just backing up the changes everything that's changed kind of things that you've added and you know and things like that and historical backups as well Uh, learn to archive old backups so that you're putting aside things that are no longer in use and and also making way for new content you produce in so that's that's the the main thing when i i I worked a lot with kind of big brands Uh, i'm very lucky that i get sent things to test you know pieces of kit some of the the best kit that i see out there uh, isn't necessarily always the newest kit but just things like hard drives now for instance capacity is getting ridiculous you know uh, very very cheap but you'll want to be sticking with the big brands really um, people like for instance western digital lacy yeah. seagate because they, those are the guys that are doing the cutting edge work and are putting the money into research and development i don't Tend to affiliate myself with anybody in particular because it becomes very difficult to be objective when it comes to looking at what the best kit is for photographers. And one size definitely does not fit all. Depending on whether you're a travel photographer, a wedding photographer, or just doing family portraits, what you're going to rely on kit-wise is going to be very different. I'll give you an example of what I mean, for instance. So the main uh, work that I do is weddings. I do commercial work as well, but mostly it's weddings. So what I'll find is... That I will have a backup solution that I can apply when I'm on site during the day. And I will have another solution for when I get home. Like a workflow, a process that I follow. Touchwood has worked so far. uh, But by the same token as well you never sit on your laurels and just accept well, what is just there you're constantly looking for things ways where your backup is going to fall down because the system essentially should work like a 321 process so you have three backups at any one time with two available at at any instantly you normally would have an on-site an off-site and a cloud-based backup each one of those works separately but none of them are uh, infallible on their own so for instance a cloud-based backup something like Backblaze which I use Backblaze I've tried loads of different ones crash plan few others and and, uh, at the moment i'm using backblaze because it works it hasn't failed me yet and i've had a few situations where i've had to restore files and it's been relatively quick and painless the reason that you have a cloud-based backup is that you'll need to be able to backup off-site. For those of you that have studios, and I've got friends that, that, that have got studios in Cardiff, one of them very unfortunately had his studio broken into not so long ago. The thieves decided to make off with his hard drives, his computers, and essentially I think the only thing that was left was the air conditioning unit because they couldn't get it out the door.
1: That's heartbreaking.
0: So luckily he was all insured, but the problem with insurance is it will insure you for your physical kit. But how do you put a price on somebody's wedding? How do you put a price on, you know, photographs of maybe, you know, a grandparent, a relative, somebody who's not around anymore? So, you know, having the cloud-based on-site backup is great. But the downside for that is it's not fast. It's not fast. You can literally spend a day, you could spend a day trying to download a wedding of images it's, I take maybe maybe I'll take about 2,000 images I don't want i I love the chuckle there <laughs> it's, it's the good god you can tell you can
1: be yeah. allowed to shoot on
0: film how bad are you <laughs> but I'll take 2,000 photographs let's say at a wedding right on average out of that maybe they'll have 420 um, but It literally comes down to where do you store all those images? Now, some of those images I will not pick because people are blinking, someone's moving ahead, head, I've missed something, the focus, I haven't hit it straight on. For whatever reason, those will be, they'll just be thrown away. But that doesn't mean that I won't keep them because it might mean it's something that I don't choose for myself as being a great picture. Someone will come back to me and say, look, our uncle passed away. So that's the thing, that's the thing when people look at,
1: uh, images they will have an emotional attachment to it where we will have a technical attachment absolutely, to absolutely yes and and you know when they look at it that emotional image is worth much more to them Let's um, like, say a passed on relative may have blinked or whatever but they're at that moment in time
0: absolutely and, I've, to and I've had that happen so many times i've had that happen so many times so now i just back up everything so having that on site is great but very slow. It's not quick enough. Sorry, it's off-site. We're going to talk about on-site next, really. So that is your big drives. Okay, that is your big drives. So that might be a RAID system. So for those... perhaps are not quite familiar. RAID is a way of putting multiple drives into a box and the computer sees all five drives or six drives or however many you put in there as one physical drive. The the software or hardware inside the box will make it look like it's one... One drive. And essentially what it'll do is split those files across the multiple drives. The more drives you have, the more redundancy you have. So for instance, you could have a drive fail and you would be able to take that drive out, throw it away, replace it with another drive of the same capacity and then the other drives will rebuild all the information that's missing from that drive and put it back onto the drive so essentially your array of drives will start working again having those raid uh, big raid boxes that sit on your network that are normally plugged into your uh, routers or your switches they're great and they can store. I think I've got about twenty terabytes stored in yeah. my Synology drive. And again, I'm not endorsed by them. It's just the one. I've mm. tried lots of different ones at the moment. That's the one I'm using. It works great for me. So yeah, so the, that Synology drive that I've got down there is great. It's got all my kids' films on there as well. So they- <laughs> that's not because I've got I've got a GTEC one
1: here, and um, I've actually had to just turn it off because the cooling fan on it would pick up. But it's absolutely invaluable. But talking about raids, really important. There's you know one, two, three, four, five, six versions or variations that you can choose from from raid you just want to sort of um, explain the key ones to people so they can sort of understand that?
0: Yeah, so it does get a bit complicated, but RAID essentially is a way of storing your data on those uh, on those drives. And they come in various different variations. Again, you've got, you've got RAID 1, 5, 6, 0, 10, and 50 are really going to be the ones you're going to come across. So 0 and 1 really are, are, are the, the ones that, that, that are kind of pushed out there but there's a photographer and I'll go into detail about what's different about them now but the ones you want to concern yourselves really with are one and five. So essentially raid one in your box you might have Two drives of the same physical capacity. Let's use um, two terabyte drives as an example. With the RAID 1 the two drives go in side by side and the software or in some cases hardware. RAID works either via software or hardware according to what the company who makes the unit chooses to produce their de- device with. Hardware RAID tends to work a little bit quicker but software RAID can be updated with new software and sometimes given new features so raid one copies the contents of one drive across to the other drive constantly it's a mirroring it mirrors it yes absolutely so it mirrors it constantly so that if one of your hard drives dies you can pull it out throw it away replace that drive with one of the same capacity and the working drive will mirror again and rebuild itself uh, onto the new drive it's not the quickest but but you'll probably find that that within a day you'll have back a drive that's that's working again so why would you use something with five drives it's inherently going to be more expensive okay raid five works in that it's a lot faster so for instance if you imagine one drive copying the contents Across from one drive to another, you know, that's going to be fairly slow. Whereas if you've got RAID 5 that might have four drives in it, three drives constantly copying their data to the replacement drive is going to be inherently quicker. And, uh, you know, it, it will... Whilst it doesn't offer you any more redundancy, if you... It's still got what's called one singular drive redundancy. So, for instance, if you had one drive fail you pulled it out and tried to carry on using that array you'd be able to read from it but you generally wouldn't be able to write to that until you replace the working the broken drive it's very clear of a system isn't it yeah and essentially you are reading consecutively from four from from four drives so the 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 speed of reading and writing to those drives is going to be significantly higher although you are limited by the speeds of the ports that connect to your network so if, if you've got really old wi-fi router or switch that won't accept a gigabit or thousand megabytes per second connection you're always going to be limited. That's going to be where your bottleneck is going to be. And th- and that's what we always look for, I guess, as a technical, technical I hate to use the word gurus, but as someone who's a, perhaps a technical advisor um, <laughs> or consultant, Guru. maybe that's a better word, I think. You're always looking for the bottlenecks, where the where the slowdown is occurring and, and, and improving on that whilst kind of not um, necessarily... Uh, losing your functionality, so yes, yeah, so a RAID RAID um, one and RAID five, uh RAID ten really builds on that in that it will give you a much higher redundancy and a faster read and write speeds. But it's really speaking unless you're running a, a studio that's dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes and. terabytes of data a a month then you're not really going to be looking at those those kind of different arrays um, the only, uh, ironically, someone asked me the other day, it, why would you not choose a RAID array that gives you two-disc redundancy? And RAID 6, for instance, would give you that. However, the read and write speeds of RAID 6 are much, much slower than, than RAID 5. So whilst you could have an array that has got maybe four drives in it and lose two of those drives with RAID 6, the capacity of the overall array will will, will drop And the speeds that we'll read and write will will get very slow. They're great for things like SQL databases and um, lots of big companies will use those. But they're no good in practical terms for running your business. If you're a small business, start with RAID 1 as you expand and you want to add more capacity, which you can Hmm. do. With RAID 5, that's where you want to be looking to go
1: towards, really. So, yeah. So, RAID is… And it's also peace of mind, isn't it? It's peace of mind to your clients as well. Absolutely, um, yeah. Th- there's nothing… And I, you know, early days on, I've had a crap file or or you you spend forever looking for that disk or the hard drive with every disk. Back in the days of CDs and DVDs used to back <laughs> up to. Um, and you, you think, oh, where was it? But if everything's… You know, like on a server or backed up to either Synology or a G Drive or whatever like that. And man, you're going to find it so quick and bring Some it back. Some of the on.
0: better devices will index your files as well, so that you can search instead If you know the file name of something, you can search instantly. And and having a good naming structure as well it really helps. When I'm when I'm kind of naming all my files, they're named with the the year, the month. Uh, which camera it was shot on, and the couple's names or the names of, I don't know.
1: Which is why keywording, that's another thing you could talk about hours for is keywording. That's how important that is. You go into your library, bang, there's your photos. How'd you do that? Well, when I brought them in... <laughs> Keyword. Well keywording
0: works <laughs> great and I used to do it up until I saw Scott Kelby's um Slim method, the yep. uh the Lightroom image management system. Yep. So I sort of I'm less about keywording these days and more about using smart you know, smart folders, which works yes. really well. And I love that. Um that, that's what I love about the the whole industry
1: we work in. we can sort of be stuck in a way uh, of doing something and then someone will just say something like that why don't you try this and you're like oh my god what didn't I think of that that's fantastic absolutely are always constantly learning no matter how long you've been doing it you will always pick something up every day and I love it
0: absolutely. yeah and do you know there's a um, uh, when I first started taking my photography seriously there's a there's an expectation that photographers don't like to share information because they're kind of kind of worried about maybe people overtaking them and things like that mm. in my in my experience most of the photographers that are doing the cutting edge work uh, you know are the ones that are willing to share are really you know willing to share their skills and you know have time for people so you know you just got to search out the people that are doing the best work and normally they're the ones that are you know the most willing to kind of share what they do people like yourself glenn dewis peter hurley great great guy he's the guy that got me onto the synology i was using he's, buffalo drives before this and he said oh no you want to try this this is amazing this is amazing i love this this is great i was like yeah 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 i'm great I, i'm happy with my buffalo drives and he's showed me this thing it's like how have i not seen this before you know this <laughs> is like <laughs>
1: I mean, 20 odd years in tech and i've never seen it
0: <laughs> we get caught out and i literally i, I think they're about 800 quid for the array. It didn't include the drives, mm. but literally, about three years on, it hasn't missed a beat. But well, that's the thing, you've got to
1: invest in things to keep your business running. Your your business can't move on and it can't develop unless you invest in it.
0: Yeah, you know, people will buy the latest lenses and cameras. And then, and I've seen it, right? I've literally seen it. You've got some amazing photographers producing great work. And they'll come to me and they'll be like, how do you rescue data off a drive? And I was like, right, okay, what type of... a?" And they're like, no, I... I went to PC World and bought a driver. And you're like, oh, oh God. If I... is the sword gone full on it. It's just help educated the people who, who are creating the best work. Because we want to so, see well, the work no. they're doing, you know? On that note, people come to you like that. What would be your pet peeve
1: about backing up?
0: Oh, I think possibly it's people who I've helped in the past who literally look at the price of what I've recommended them and then just go and buy something that's completely not right. It's Hmm. happened before and I've explained and that's why I suppose I'm quite passionate about the technical side of things in that there's a reason why... I, I will recommend things that I do. And it's not because I'm being paid by any companies. Because I, I, everything that I've bought here, everything that I use, I've bought myself. I do get sent things to test, but it's on the recommendation that I'm brutally honest about it. And, the you know, a typical example was, there you go, I've just been sent, Lacey have sent a solid state drive that is a USB-C drive uh, now to test. And this thing is ridiculously insane. Absolutely insane the speeds that this is reading and writing from it's about the
1: size of a credit card
0: yeah absolutely it's like literally that it just that's the size of it it's yeah. no bigger than a credit card it's reading and it's reading at 2500 megabytes a second and wow. writing at around 1500 megabytes per second now if those numbers are going to confuse you let me just explain just give you some kind of indication as to uh, some kind of guide as to how to understand how fast that really is. So uh, to write 4K video to a card requires about 60 megasecond between 60 and 100 megasecond and these are right in at 1300 megasecond it's ridiculously quick the technology is moving on faster than what we're asking it to do but that's always been the way and, and that's great but it's ridiculously expensive for a one terabyte drive you're looking at about 400 quid yeah, because it's, it's solid state because it's solid state there's yeah. no moving parts it's incredibly light and it will bounce if you drop it and there are downsides to that as well not just the cost but just the fact that this has got a thunderbolt 3 usb-c port one of those tiny little ports that you can put in either way that's great right but if you try plugging that into a standard usb port it will not work. It won't work because the ports don't have the capacity to provide the power for the device and the throughput for the data. Amazing piece of kit and I love it. But downside is it's not for everybody. You know, Mm. it's not going to work with older Apple Macs or PCs. But I mean that's a, that's the way I think I suppose coming back to your original question was what's my pet peeve sorry trying to get kind of carried away with this is literally I'll say to people right this is what you need this is why you need it because you do this you've told me that you do this you need to do this this is the reason why I need to go these are the best ones I've found you can buy this one you can buy this or that and they'll go out and buy a single drive and we'll be having the same conversation in 12 months it has happened there is people I know photographers out there producing amazing work friends of mine and we've had this discussion and i'll say see you in 18 months because you know yeah
1: because you know you know damn well that they'll uh...
0: <laughs> yeah and i know there's the whole kind of right brain left brain type thing where creatives tend not to be technical thinkers i struggle with a bit of both i think i i see a lot of people who have extremely technical working in a, an it environment but have no capacity for being able to talk to people or explain their decisions decisions or kind of, you know, empathize with, with other photographers. And and so I think you have to have a bit of both. And it's, I think, I think people also have
1: to, have to be prepared to listen as well and take on board. Sometimes, like you say, creatives aren't prepared to listen. And I think that's a lot, they get stuck in their ways or they don't want to change or they not necessarily don't want to learn, but they're just so stuck in their ways. So To do a sort of change, go, oh, Peter's saying I should go down this path, but I've been doing this for years and it sort of works. But to actually do something and change, but when they do change, they'll be wondering why the hell didn't I do that? You know, he's given me this great advice and it is frustrating. You see, you've given this amazing advice. You've shared this advice, Mm. which is going to help them with their workflow and everything. And God forbid, you know, touch wood. If you know, anything is lost. Yeah. And that they'll be able to recover it.
0: And, um, one of the guys that I learned off always used to say, the juice is worth the squeeze kind of, (laughs) (laughs) so childish giggle yeah <laughs> the juice is worth the squeeze you know it's just if there is a reason behind a kind of having to spend out and adapt as it were lots of people don't like to adapt because they've mm. done things a certain way and they've found that it works for them there'll be photographers out there who will carry on using a system that is fallible and doesn't work for them because they don't know any better or they don't mm have the time they're juggling so many balls they don't have the time to to uh, investigate another potential way but that can also come with information
1: overload can't it they've seen so much out there and they're trying to take too much on board they literally fry themselves so they almost need to step back it's
0: it, it can be too much for some people uh you know when you throw in kind of facts and figures and this and that at them and the whole idea i guess behind what i do is kind of humanizing it taking something that is very very technical and where people talk a different language it's kind of putting it in a way that people can understand it so that i can let people do what they do best that's that's the whole point I do what I do so that you can do what you do. And I kind of like that. He's going, listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: tell, uh, Tell me, Peter, what do you love, loathe and can't live without?
0: Love. Oh, gosh. I love, I do love my cameras. I do love my cameras. I'm still stuck using my Canon 5D Mark IVs. And I know everybody's going to say, oh, mirrorless and this and that, the other. If it works for you, it's fine. Yeah, but I just, I love it. I can't quite put it down yet. And it hasn't, I haven't gotten to the point where it's limiting what I do yet. So I do love, I do love having my cameras. I've got one really good one and one that's just beaten to hell <laughs> in the boot of the car and yeah it's just uh loath. i think the most annoying thing is is for me is uh, people who um aren't prepared to listen because i've spent i've spent 30 years learning this stuff and i got a lot of you know probably <laughs> forgotten more than a lot of people know but, you know, th- there's no there's no reason behind it other than to, to help people, really. Uh, and so many people helped me when I first started uh, as a photographer that for me to be able to kind of give back, that's my currency, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, that puts me in a room with people who are at the top of their game and I don't feel like any lesser like a lesser person for for being there I can hold I can hold my own you know I like that it allows me to be to play on the same field so I, yeah I kind of I do um, That that's a lot really I think is that uh, yeah. is people who um, necessarily willing to listen uh, when I'm trying to help them can't live without oh my gosh I think oh, and then know this is this is probably gonna be one of those things you're gonna look at me and go, oh my God, no, probably iPhone, probably okay.
1: iPhone is that an addiction or just uh, a necessity
0: well possibly a bit of both if i'm planning a shoot i've got a, i've got an idea for a shoot coming up now and if i'm planning a shoot i'll i'll take my iphone out and i'll get shots of locations and textures kind of anything that i can find and anything i can see and it's great because there's no expectations on it being a masterpiece although There's been a few photographs that I've taken that people haven't necessarily known that I've shot on an iPhone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But We talked about this, didn't we, before, about how you don't need the best, latest piece of equipment to take a beautiful photograph. It's the know-how and the understanding of light. You know, a master sculptor can use a chisel in magical ways.
0: I've had a conversation with uh, my best mate who um, is very, very technical and he's a gadget geek. uh, He messaged me the night the new iPhone 12 Pro came out and he was just like that's it this is going to do away with DSLR cameras nobody's going to be using those anymore and whilst that may be true 10 years from now I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where they will replace the person behind the camera because Mm. as photographers it's still us making that decision right it's still us that is choosing what to point our cameras at and the moment we let a piece of technology tell us what it thinks is a better photograph than than what we have in our heads is the moment that everybody churns out the same. I got, um, I get kind of echoes of... uh, pink floyd's another brick in the wall coming Mm. you know in my head when i see you know people churning out the same stuff over and over the mince grinder god it just it scares me ai might be able to make your pictures better but be the one who chooses you know be Mm. the one who chooses what to show or what to leave out yeah technology's got a great place but don't let it replace common sense and kind of what's what's in here you know in your heart really so that that's the way i kind of look at it really
1: that's that's quite a good answer
0: actually that's a very good answer the tool that's what it is it's a tool because um i remember reading a photography book and saying that and i can't remember which book it was but it was very much sort of like the photograph is always there it's your choice whether or not to photograph it and show it. Even if you decide not to photograph it, it's still there to be taken. The eye sees the photograph before the camera can capture it. So if you say that, you always
1: capture the photograph late because you've seen it before you take it. Look at
0: it. Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. We're getting really Did philosophical it? here. <laughs> oh, <that is> <laughs> oh, I love this. This is good. six. <laughs>
1: Peter, it's been amazing talking to you this evening and I know that we'll definitely get you back because there's so much more to talk to you about that we didn't even touch on. So where can people find you if they want to catch up with you? And we'll put all these in the description as well. Uh, so
0: they can find me on Instagram. I am mjphotoinfo. That's probably the best place to hit me up. So send me a like, have a little look at what I do. Uh, my website is www.morganjamesmedia.co.uk and the wedding stuff is morganjamesphoto.co.uk so very similar but very different clients so they kind of keep them all separate really where possible but um, yeah drop me your questions I always like things that kind of make my brain sort of uh, have to start taking over and uh I'm I'm just looking at my face Facebook now. We discussed this earlier that I have to turn it off every time, and uh, literally just yeah. Otherwise, I'll just end up it'll be pinging all night. So, take care, my friend, and talk to you soon. Cheers, buddy.